Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? It's good from time to time to take a look again at why we put our faith in Jesus Christ in the first place. If you believe in Jesus, and I assume that most of us here do, or at least you're investigating him, why do you believe in him? What led you to put your faith in Jesus Christ? What reasons do you have for trusting him? There doesn't have to be just one reason. In fact, there are probably many for most of us. But it's good to take stock from time to time and ask our hearts, why do they believe? Because there's some really good reasons out there. And there are also some bad reasons to believe. Reasons that are built on false assumptions or faulty foundations. And if those reasons were found to be weak, then our faith might be shaken or even fall away. In today's story, Jesus warns the people he's talking to about how they might be building their faith in him on the wrong foundation. And I think we can really learn from it for our lives today. Let's take a closer look at what Keegan read. Start in verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. See, this story picks up right where we left off two weeks ago. Jesus had met the woman at the well. Remember her? In Samaria? And had that life-changing conversation about spiritual thirst and living water. And this woman had believed in him. And more than that, she had told her neighbors, her fellow Samaritan villagers about him. She saw the, open, the wide open door and she walked through it. And they believed in him. They invited Jesus to stay with them for two days. And he did. That's a miracle. Jews and Samaritans living together in harmony with the Messiah among them. They'd come to believe for themselves that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Not just for Jews, not just for Samaritans, but for more than that. Not even just for half-breed Samaritans, but for Gentiles as well. The Savior of the world. So those two days where he was living in Samaria are over now. And Jesus continues northward on his journey. Remember, in this gospel, the story started up in Galilee in the region where Jesus had grown up. And then he'd gone down south for a little bit and visited Jerusalem and cleaned out the temple and met Nicodemus. Now he's headed back up north again. He had to go through Samaria, but now he's headed back towards Galilee to his hometown area. And he does not expect it to go very well. Look at verse 44. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. See, Jesus knew the ropes. He knew how this normally works. Local boys are often not taken seriously, especially if they have a negative evaluation of their hometown. I mean, it's one thing to come back home and praise your town. But if you act like a prophet upon your return and tell your hometown everything that they need to change... It's easy to get discounted right away. Jesus said on multiple occasions that a prophet has no honor in his own country, and yet he still goes there. But what's really strange is what it says in verse 45. When he arrived in Galilee and started acting like a prophet, they kicked him out. Is that what it says? No. 
When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Opa, that's a party. Like the girls coming back and the, all the fire trucks come when they win their volleyball game, right? Hey, it's Jesus. Woohoo! Yes. What? They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Isn't it interesting to read verse 44 about how he doesn't expect it to go well, and then verse 45, and try to put those two together? You might have expected from what Jesus said in verse 44 that they were going to boot Jesus, not welcome him. But John thinks that verse 45 fits perfectly with verse 44, and I'm sure he's right, because look at how they welcomed him by why they welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. They had their eyes on the power of Jesus. Word was getting around that Jesus, whew, he could do things. These Galileans had seen it for themselves. They'd been down to Jerusalem too, and Jesus was powerful, and they welcomed him. They believed. They had faith of a sort because of what they saw. And that's kind of dangerous. We've seen a faith like this already in the Gospel of John. You remember the end of chapter 2? Look at verse 23. Flip over there and just look at John 2, 23. It says, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing. And believed in his name. Well, that sounds good. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Do you remember that? See, there's a kind of superficial faith in Jesus that's not always true and lasting faith because it's built on the wrong things. And Jesus always knows. Jesus always knows. He knows that this welcome is not necessarily a good thing at all because they aren't really trusting in him. They're just eyeing up his power and thinking about what that power could do for them. That's what's on Jesus' mind when this royal official shows up on the scene. Look now at chapter 4, verse 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Now, do you have this story in your mind? You see it all, where everything is? Maybe on the map in your brain or in the back of your Bible? Where is Jesus right now? In what town? Huh? Cana. That's right. Cana, it's in Galilee. That's the same place where Jesus did that first quiet miracle we read about in chapter 2, where he turned the water into wine and saved the wedding and brought them all joy and just exited out the back. But his disciples saw it and believed. It was a sign. Do you remember that? It was a sign, like a signpost, like I had my great big Welsh dragon with the eye, heart, whales on it. A sign, a post saying, look at Jesus, he is the Messiah. The miracle was a sign for the limited group who saw it that Jesus was the Christ. So Jesus is back at that location, and he gets a visitor from a town about 20, 25 miles away, Capernaum. 
And this visitor is a, it says, a royal official. Now, we don't know his name. He was probably a Gentile and a member of the house of Herod Antipas, who ruled in that area. area. He was probably rich and powerful. This man could have bought anything he wanted, but all of his money could not buy the life of his son. His son was sick. His son was dying. His son was, in fact, almost dead. Can you imagine how he felt? Some of you don't have to imagine. You've had your children be very sick. Some of you have had your children die. Heather and I had a daughter who died in utero. We never got to dedicate her on a Sunday morning. We've rushed children to the hospital. Some of you were children who were very sick. Some of you may have been very close to death yourself at some point. It's not hard to imagine this man's desperation. He's not just a royal official, he's a dad, a scared dad. And he's come to Jesus because he's heard that Jesus is powerful. So that's what makes what Jesus says in verse 48 feel so harsh. This is what Jesus says to him, verse 48. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. That's a rebuke. That's a challenge. That's a clapback. This man comes begging Jesus for help, and Jesus responds with these strong words. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, for Jesus to talk this way, there must be something more important to Jesus than saving the life of this child. For Jesus to talk this way to this man, to this crowd, there must be something more important to Jesus than just doing this miracle. And that must be calling these people to genuine saving faith in him. Notice that this rebuke is not just for this man. The you in verse 48 in the Greek is plural. That's why the NIV has you people. We'd say yins, right? Jesus is rebuking all the folks in the crowd who are just there for the miracles. They're just there for the healings. They're just there for the power. See, they have their focus in the wrong place. They're focused only on what they can see. I've got two points for you this morning to summarize the truth of this story. And here's the first one. Seeing is not believing. Now that's the opposite of what we normally say, right? We say seeing is believing. Or I'll believe it when I see it. Jesus rebukes these people for having to see miracles to believe in him. He, he says they won't believe unless they see. And he's intimating that that approach is faulty. It's going to lead them astray. They're focused on the wrong thing. They're seeing Jesus as a kind of magician or a vending machine, 
a miraculous vending machine or, or a, a charm bracelet. If you wear this amulet, if you have Jesus, then you have this power. If you do the right things and this power will come out, they're focused on the spectacle. They're focused on the miracle and they are demanding that they see first and then they will believe. And Jesus knows it. He always knows it and so he calls it out. Jesus knows that seeing is not necessarily believing. You can see these miracles and not put your faith and trust really in him. We're going to see that again and again as we study the Gospel of John. People are going to be healed by Jesus. And instead of believing in Jesus, some people who see the healed person are going to hate Jesus more. You always think, well, if I saw a miracle, then I believe. It's not how it works. Not always. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, from the dead, the Jewish religious leaders start scheming up how to kill Lazarus again and to kill Jesus too. And then they do. Seeing does not always lead to believing. Now, sometimes it does. And there's nothing wrong with seeing. These miracles are signs. They are signposts. You're supposed to see them and follow where they point to believe. But you don't put all your focus on the sign, right? You don't keep staring at the sign and what the, the sign is pointing to. Ken, when you're driving truck down the road, the sign says bridge out, right, ahead, right? You don't say, PennDOT sure does a great job with those signs, don't they? You stomp on the brake, right? Or, and you sure don't say, well, unless the sign says the bridge is out, then I'll just drive wherever I want. No matter if the bridge is gone, I demand a sign or I'm just going to drive. That's what Jesus is saying. These folks are demanding a sign or they will not believe. And Jesus says they're too focused on what they've seen and what they can see. They're too focused on the power of Jesus and they're missing the person of Jesus. And that's more important. That's more important than even our life and our death. So I ask you again this morning, why do you believe in Jesus? Is it a good reason? I think a lot of people believe in Jesus because of what he can do for them. Jesus can cure my cancer. Jesus can put my family back together. Jesus can get me a better job. Jesus can lift my depression. Jesus can save my business. Jesus can heal my child. Yes, Jesus can. But what if Jesus doesn't? Some people have taught that Jesus will do all those things if you just believe. And then if they don't happen, then you must not have had enough faith. That's called the prosperity gospel, and it is poison. I've seen a lot of people walk away from Christianity because bad things happen to them or to their family, and they're mad at God or disappointed in God because their cancer came back. Their parents divorced. They lost their job and got a worse one. Their depression did not go away. Their business went under. Their child died. So they hit the road. They lost their faith. I tried God. 
he didn't work. Because their faith was built on the wrong foundation. They've been focused on the power of Jesus instead of the person of Jesus. He didn't keep some promises he'd never made, and so they walked away. Seeing is not believing. We walk by faith and not by sight. Friends, don't focus on what Jesus can do for you. Focus on who Jesus is. Jesus is not being callous to this man or to the crowd. In fact, he cares about something more important than even what they care about. He cares about their hearts and what they think of him. He's raising their gaze to something higher than even health or life. I'm not a magician or a miracle dispensing vending machine. I'm not a magic amulet, Jesus is saying to them. I don't give out miracles on demand. And if you build your faith on seeing my miracles, you're going to be disappointed at some point. And your faith will fail you. I won't fail you. But your faith will fail. When people walk away from God because they're mad at him for not doing the thing they wanted him to do, I feel bad for them. My heart goes out. I keep praying for them. But I'm not surprised and I'm disappointed in them because they have clearly put their faith in the wrong thing. They've put the focus of their faith on the blessings of God instead of the God of the blessings. The gift instead of the giver. Are the gifts bad that God gives? No, of course not. Are miracles and signs and wonders bad? No. Are blessings bad? <laughs> of course not. This is the season when we give our thanks for all of God's good blessings. But we give thanks on mountains high and valleys low. We give thanks wherever we go. Have you been praying for something recently? Really praying? Maybe for something big. And have you told the Lord that unless he does what you're asking for, then you will no longer believe? Maybe you haven't said it in so many words, but it's in your mind. Seeing is believing, Lord. We'll see if you come through, and then I'll believe. That's the kind of dangerous faith that Jesus is rebuking here. What if God says no to the thing that you are praying for most fervently now? And you can't even imagine why he might say no. Determine now, now, right now, to keep on trusting him, even if you can't see it. Even if you don't see it. Seeing is not believing. Believe. Even if you cannot see. Now, I'm not saying stop asking. Keep asking. And I'm not saying don't stop praying desperately. I'm just saying stop demanding that your will be done or you won't believe. Now what I love about this guy is that he, he takes that rebuke. Did you notice that when Keegan was reading it? He hears what Jesus says and he doesn't even, he doesn't offer like an excuse or a defense. He, he doesn't try to defend his shaky faith very wisely. He just keeps asking the one who has the power to save the boy. Verse 49. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. 
That's a beautiful prayer. That's looking past everything and just looking at Jesus and saying, if you will, please, please. He asks Jesus to travel 20 to 25 miles to Capernaum to wield his healing power and to save his son. And Jesus doesn't go. But he does heal him. See, Jesus does care. Jesus does the miracle. In fact, he does the miracle long distance by remote control. (laughs) After that rebuke, you might have thought that Jesus was going to say, no, but he doesn't. He has used this moment of everyone's attention to focus on what was even more important. But in his grace and his compassion, he speaks the word to heal the child. Verse 50, Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. That's our sermon title for this morning. Shows up again in verse 53, your son will live. It's literally in the present tense in the Greek, your son lives. And it's it's not just that he's not dead yet, but he's healed. He's going to be alive tomorrow and the next day. Your son lives. Your son will live. And here's the most amazing part of this story, I think. Verse 50, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Just like that. He said, okay. He turned around and he departed. He went home. He didn't say, no, 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 please, please, please come. No, unless you, I mean, grab him by the arm and come on, Jesus. He just believed what Jesus said and headed home. He took Jesus at his word. Here's how much he believed. Look at verse 51. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. What good news? When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Now, did you catch it? I read it kind of fast. Did you see how much he believed? We're amazed, and rightly so, that the boy was healed at the exact moment that Jesus said, your son lives. But when did this man learn of that? What's it say? It's the next day, right? The servant said, yesterday at the seventh hour, that's one o'clock in the afternoon, our time. How fast do you walk? I walk, I walk about four miles an hour, right? Just when I'm not running or whatever, I'm just trying to get somewhere. This, in, in the morning, before breakfast, I try to walk to the end of Viaduct Road and back. It's about four miles. I do it about an hour. So it's about four miles an hour. So I did some math, which is always a scary thing. But if it's 25 miles from Cana to Capernaum and it's downhill most of the way, seems like he could have gotten home the day before. He's healed at one. He heads back six and a half hours on foot, especially if he thought he was never going to see his son alive again. Seems like he could have been home before bedtime. Now, of course, we don't know why he took so long to get home. Maybe he was exhausted from the uphill journey to get there. Maybe he couldn't travel at night because of treacherous conditions. We don't know. But we do know that it was the next day he got there. 
And I can't help but think that he took his time because he believed the word of Jesus. Jesus said it. I believe it. It's true. That settles it. Verse 50 says, the man took Jesus at his word. Think about that. That Jesus is the word. And this man believed the word of the word. He just believed it. He acted on it. Do you believe like that? Do you take the promises of God and you say, he said it. I believe it. That settles it. When we, here, here's the point, point number two and last, believing is seeing. When we put our trust in Jesus and what Jesus has promised, then it gives us a kind of spiritual sight. It's like he can see it. Oh, yeah, my son lives. We see who Jesus is and we trust that he will do exactly what he says he will do. We see it with the eyes of faith. Believing is seeing. And then one day, we see it with our own physical eyes. There are many things that God has promised that we do not yet see. Heaven is one of them. Our full, our full salvation in the new heavens and the new earth, we're told about them, we have a taste of them, but it's still our hope. And Paul says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But one day our faith will be made sight. If we believe, then we will see. Believing is seeing. This man believed in Jesus with the eyes of faith. And he believed what Jesus said. He believed Jesus' promise. He believed the word of the word. And he saw what Jesus had promised come true. So did his whole family. Josh and Katie are surrounded by their whole family here this morning. Verse, ver, uh, verse uh, it says that they all believed, including, I'll bet, his boy who lived, which also was a sign. Verse 54 says that it was another sign that pointed to Jesus being the Messiah. Jesus did it long distance from far away, but Jesus did it. Verse 54 says Jesus performed this sign. And it was another signpost for those with eyes of faith to see that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And you know what happens to people who believe? They have life in Jesus' name. Do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? There's lots of good reasons, but there's also some shaky ones. Is it just because he's powerful? Because he could do something for you? Or do you simply believe just because of who he is. Believing is seeing.